Welcome to Hidden Park, the podcast, guys. This is episode two. Uh, today we have a super, 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 super special guest, someone I've been following for a couple of weeks, months now, uh, Crypto Rain. Actually, I'm here with Anthony, uh, co-host, obviously, and uh, Crypto Rain. For those that don't know, uh, he has a YouTube channel. Um, successful, very successful in my eyes. Uh, a lot of my friends, shout out Will, we follow it thoroughly, update updates and updates every time there's a video. Um, and uh, Crypto Rain is someone who I feel, and I, I, I can you know put my word on it, is genuine with the cryptocurrency uh, content, uh, analyzes it, and uh, it's not one of those uh, you know, modern day BS type of things of someone asking for money and stuff like that, which is something I really respect. Uh, so without further ado, uh, we have Crypto Rain here. And to start off, it's just a little bit about himself. You can see it on the YouTube channel as well. I'll link it in the video um, in the podcast on Spotify and Apple. But without further ado, a little bit about you, Crypto Rain, and how you got into crypto. Yeah, my background's in investing. I mean, I went to business school in the States. I studied specifically in the management information systems department, which was under the accounting accounting department in the business school. But you had to apply to the university. Plus, you then had to apply to the business school. Um, got accepted. Loved it. Before that, I'd been studying computer science. And I realized I'm just not geeky enough like I wanted to be. But after being in the lab working on a a program that wasn't working and I was there for like 12 hours in a row, two days in a row. And uh, I was so ready to just slip my wrists. <laughs> and the kid next to me is like, I just love it in here. If they would put bunks upstairs, I would never leave the building. I looked around, I said, I'm in the wrong place. I want to die. So I, I looked at what my other options were and I was like, okay, so there's money in the technical side of business and, you know, business is probably more my thing. So then I went to my counselor and he said, well, with your current grades are good enough, I, you know, I, it, they're okay, but they're, you're not going to get into the business school. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll show you. So, you know, I, I made sure I got my grades up to like straight A's the rest of that semester and applied and, and got accepted and then loved that and graduating that applied to graduate school because nobody was hiring at the time and um, got accepted to graduate school. So that was cool. And then I got a job with a company called Accenture. See, nobody was hiring at the time. It was the recession that everyone forgot because the president back then cut taxes, which boomed the economy, popped us out of the recession within a year and a half. Nobody but me seems to even remember it. But I graduated with about 200 other people and two of us got jobs in the industry. So I felt super blessed to get such a prestigious job like Accenture. They're a worldwide business um, consulting firm. And went to work for them before just realizing I wanted to do real estate and moved over into real estate and real estate investing. And I was doing some real estate investing while I was working for them, but it was really hard to do well for both. So at some point I had to make a decision. So I've been involved in real estate investing for about 20 years, but in general, always been passionate about personal finance, um, growing your own wealth and real estate is one of the best ways to do that. 
And what I liked about when I saw crypto four years ago, I had a friend, Angel, who I'd met through real estate investing. And we were just talking and I said, well, you know, what good deals are you seeing out there? He's like, well, not a lot in real estate, but um, I just turned 15,000 into 170,000. I said, no, you did not. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, just a minor investment. And I was like, might have been a minor investment, but that kind of return isn't minor. And he said, oh, it's in cryptos. And he even spelt cryptos wrong. He spelt it with a K. So I got on the computer, started Googling cryptos, figure out what the heck he was talking about. And then realized he'd been talking about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, spelt with a C. And, uh, you know, and then so I started researching everything I could because those kind of returns are amazing because real estate, you can make good amount of money over time. Very few people make it in a short amount of time. The only way that happens if you have access to large amounts of other people's money for very cheap and you have somebody showing you exactly what to do. Most of the time, it sounds like I just lost my sound. Are you guys hearing me okay? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, perfect. Most of the time you make that kind of money over long periods of time. So what's great about real estate, you can go from not much wealth at all to significant wealth over a period of 30 or 40 years. I remember working when I was in the university and I had to take as many jobs as I could get. And I was working in one place and the janitor there pulled up in like a $60,000 Cadillac, looked beautiful. And the guy didn't even speak English and we were in the States and he didn't speak English, only spoke Spanish. And so I speak Spanish. So I was speaking not to him because I didn't know him, but I was speaking to one of the aides and I was like, hey, is that really his car? Like, why in the world would he take out a loan on something like that? And she's like, no, he owns that. The guy's a millionaire. <laughs> I'm like, no, he's not a millionaire. He's a janitor. And she said, no, no, he owns like 17 properties and this and that. So today, you know, that was like 25 years ago. The guy's probably, I don't know if he's still around, he's probably worth 10, 20, 30 million, but he bought his first place and then he moved out, rented it out. And then uh, when, when he moved out of his next home, he rented that out. And then he kept compounding, compounding and down the road, he's worth millions of dollars. So what's great about real estate is you can go from nothing to significant wealth over a long period of time. What I like about cryptocurrency is you can go from not very much to a lot over two cycles, not usually one. When people are trying to make it all work in one cycle, they take too risky of bets. Some of those bets don't work out for them. They also don't know how to time it well or take profits on the way up. And so usually... Um, yeah, your first bet with cryptocurrency, probably that fight you're going to lose just because you haven't learned about the cycles. You haven't figured a lot of things out. You're going to take bets that some will work out for you, but then you forget to take profits out of them. But uh, then if you stick around during the bear market that follows a good bull market, and I think we're halfway through a good bull market, that's the time to be buying. And that's when the smart people are buying, when it gets a little bit boring like it does like i was like bored to death during the bear market but i knew that was the time to be accumulating and stocking up when everyone's telling you bitcoin's a scam and oh it's terrible oh it's gonna fail that's exactly when to be buying and so i was uh you know even though i'd watched my portfolio i didn't have tons in in 2017 but enough and i watched it about 12x which was really exciting and I didn't take profits on it. And then I watched most all of it collapse, some of it to zero. 
during the bear market that came and some of it still um, held some value, but many of the things retraced like 95% all the way to 99%, some of it more. And so, um, but that meant everything was on sale. So I just kept putting in extra money there. I stopped putting any extra money into real estate that I didn't have to and put every extra penny I had into that, knowing that, you know, bear markets are always followed by bull markets and cryptocurrency has a very short cycle of about four years. And so um, four years from peak to peak. And so the bear market sometimes takes about uh, 10 to 12 months after the bust happens where the peak of the previous bull market for it to hit lows. And so you got about two and a half years, maybe three years from where the, some of the lows are. And, and every cycle plays out slightly different. So you can't exactly look at the last cycle and know exactly how it's going to shape. But my guess is we have a couple more of these cycles. What happens, though, is over time, it kind of flattens and there's not as much volatility. And a lot of people hate volatility. I like volatility. That means it can go way low and everybody's like, oh, this is the worst ever. And that's when people have been investing for a long time. That's when everything's on sale. And we're like, yeah, well, you want to buy it when it's expensive? The truth is most people like to buy it when it's expensive. And they sell it when it's cheap. And it's just because they let their emotions dictate their investment purchases. So what happens is people get exposed to things like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or Cardano. And they hear it and they're kind of like, nah. And then they hear it again. They're kind of like, nah. And then their friends like shaking them. Oh, my gosh, I bought Cardano at two cents and now it's a dollar eighty. And they're finally like, oh, my gosh, let me buy some. And by the time they buy it, it's two dollars and forty cents. They buy it right in time to hit a nice retracement. And then it retraces down to, you know, Cardano actually recently touched like a dollar for a brief second. That's right at the point where people freak out and they sell. And they're like, oh, oh my gosh, it's going to zero, sell, sell, sell. So they just lost over half their value, you know, 60% of their value. Now, that's the time those of us who are around, if we're at a computer, we're like, buy, buy. Oh my gosh, it went even cheaper. Buy some more. Oh my gosh, it went even cheaper. Buy some more. And it sounds so easy to do this, but it isn't. It actually, because the reason everyone's panicking is because there's been some articles that, oh my gosh, China's banning cryptocurrency. Oh my gosh, India's banning cryptocurrency. Oh my gosh, the Biden administration in the US isn't friendly to cryptocurrency or whatever. And so the, some of those stories are literally planted in the media by very rich people that have contacts in the media and they're planted to run right around the same time so that they can create that and they make tons of money when this happens and you know what it's okay i don't think it's like great that they do it i don't even think it should be illegal um i don't like that they do it i just think that's sheer greed but they do it and so you just kind of understand that there are bigger players they call them whales for a reason. Imagine we're like little fish in the pond. And even if you're a 10 millionaire, you're a little fish in the pond and you're swimming around doing your thing and some big blue, what are they? Blue whale or something swims yeah. by you and it just pushes you the heck to the side. And that's exactly why they call them whales, right? Because uh, they, you know, when they have $10 billion or $20 billion, they can just do things you can't. Like they can take out a bunch of shorts they can talk with their friends in the media to run three or four stories in sequence. They can then start selling massive amounts that just kind of primes the pump that it then goes way down and all the brand new people start freaking out. And then they're the ones 
see, they only have to sell right at the beginning and then that starts panic and they count on all the new people to then panic sell and bring the price way down. So they make some money on their shorts. They made some money because they sold theirs near the top and then they stock up a whole bunch really low. And it's just part of the process. And I know people say someone should stop that. Well, yeah. So the problem is trust in regulators, right? So if you give regulators the power to stop that, you also give them the power to stop you. And you think, well, why would they do that? Because what happens over time is the regulators get in bed with those with money. It happens every single time. And so at first they're put in there for good reasons. What happens over time is then the whales use those regulators to stop you from being able to participate. So not a big fan of that solution myself. I'd rather just allow it to happen, just understand that it's going to happen. And um, that way I don't get wrecked by it. But uh, just looking at uh, crypto, something I do with uh, Anthony and Will, Will is the one who introduced me to you. Uh, yeah. I always like to look at use case because um, we did a little bit of blockchain back at school. Um, we were also IT management students, so IT in the business school. That's why we chose it. Um, yep. But I look at use case. And for the first time, I know even cap wise, uh, we're seeing some of the biggest uh, total caps. here. I think it was at 2.5 billion, correct? Trillion, sorry. 2.5 trillion was the, the crypto. Cap. Yeah. So. And I know when you do your uh, analysis of 2017, 2013 and things like that, but in, in my day-to-day -day life, and I was younger then, uh, in my day-to-day -day life, I've never seen it this active uh, ever. Um, and so when it comes to use case, where do you see uh, cryptocurrency now? And there's many different kinds. There's thousands of them. Where do you see uh, it on a day-to-day, -day, it being used? How do you see it being in everyday life. Um, and so, not only that, what do you think it'll do? Because I'm not a fan of uh, uh, a dollar currencies, you know, dollar is, is super inflated. And that's something that I don't do. You know, I'm my background, I'm Indian, we do gold, um, still till date. So dollar and things like that, I stray away from. So what do you feel about that uh, uh, use case and then currency as a whole? Um, a couple of things. I'll tell you some of my guesses, but we're like in the early days of when you were in a computer and you put the phone on the modem that was connected to your computer and you would <laughs> dial up yeah. and, and no one could have imagined where it evolved from there. And we're in that. So one of the big setbacks of blockchain in the, um, that's now being overcome was it, it's a more secure database than centralized databases, but it was slower. Slow. And so Visa could handle, say, 40,000 transactions per second. And Bitcoin, which is cryptocurrency version 1.0, it introduced a new way of doing things. And it was supposed to be a currency, though it's really become a store of value because the trans it didn't scale very well. As you have so many transactions on it, the transaction costs are going to $8. So why in the world are you going to pay for your coffee for $6, you know, at Starbucks with an $8 charge, right? Nobody will, but it, it has some things that make it right now a good replacement for gold. So that was cryptocurrency version 1.0 or Bitcoin. And it's the most widely accepted, like it's become a store of value because people trust it. Secondly was then Ethereum that said, okay, we have this idea with smart contracts and all the Bitcoin people said, oh, that's terrible. It's a scam. It's never going to work. And, uh, and it did. And it created smart contracts, which then birthed 
DeFi or decentralized finance. The problem with it was it was only like 15 to 18 transactions per second with Ethereum. So still very, very slow, not scalable. However, some of the third generation cryptocurrencies can do like one in particular, Devio, that I did an interview with. They haven't launched a token yet. You can't buy their token. Soon they'll have something. With three nodes, they can do 8 million transactions per second. So we're talking Visa and American Express are probably going to be knocking on their door and being like, hey, how can we participate in that? Like, you know, you would reduce our cost tremendously and you would allow us to scale way better that when people are swiping machines, bam, transaction is done all the way uh, all across the world in a better, safer, secure database. They'll be all about it. So probably they'll get a lot more publicity as they do have a token sale and other things. Right now, there are plenty of businesses knocking on their door for them to do things. They just haven't done a token sale because they need to, but they've still been in operation lining up deals. Um, and so where is this all going to go? Well, some things I hope. Um, there was this concept that came out called NFTs or non-fungible tokens. And if you think about that, a lot of stuff that's being used as non-fungible tokens right now, some of it's going the way of gaming, like video gaming. And there's billions of dollars in video gaming. But imagine in video gaming, if you could actually own your item. So if you play Dota 2 or you play Call of Duty and you get a really rare item, imagine if you could not only own that, but you could sell that or exchange it to somebody else for value. So games like Call of Duty or anything on Xbox and PlayStation, they make it so you can't really transact and sell these things. So truthfully, if you can't sell them, you don't truthfully own them. And if you stop playing the game, well, then essentially that item is dead and, and trapped. So blockchain will revolutionize video gaming. And it's not like games are going to want to do this. They love trapped value. They talk about trapped value. They'll have to do it because other games will come out that then you can get these items. They could be worth money and people will be excited about that and they will flock to these other games. And so they will have to go kicking and screaming whether they want to or not. Other things is... Uh, like, so a lot of these companies that have centralized databases, imagine when they realize that some of these blockchains are way faster. So they'll, they'll move towards these types of systems. Um, they'll probably be permissioned, meaning they won't be on public blockchains, though they might use some of the same projects or the same that we know, but they'll probably be on their own permission database. Like healthcare. Because, healthcare yeah. is a big one, yeah. Healthcare, like speaking to Devio, you know, Devio is perfect for healthcare. It's a permission network, not a public network. So that, because in healthcare, you have different regulations, like some records can't cross states and everything. So you can't run it on a public blockchain where some of the data is then stored in Europe and some is stored in the US and some is stored in Australia. <clears throat> that would violate local laws so that you need a private um, permissioned blockchain that can have that but you know imagine all your health data could be accessible through your smartphone anywhere in the world but it validates that it's you using the power of cryptography right so it's hard to imagine all the places it can go here but one of the big things that needed to happen was increased speeds to come together so a lot of your banking, there's a big direction it's going. And I want to speak to, I'm going to be speaking to the team at Albit again, which is pretty exciting. Some of the stuff they're doing, that's freeway token is their token. But I talked about it the other day when, um, you know, if you think about the problem, let's say you 
invest in real estate and you accumulate a lot of wealth and you've got a million dollars in the bank, which in some places that'll retire you for the rest of your life, as long as you can get decent interest on it. Well, the bank is going to pay you right now, maybe half a percent on that if you're lucky. Now, what kind of money is the bank going to make on that? They are going to make a killing on that. Because let's just talk, because I know uh, in the U.S. banks, how that this works in the U.S., but a um, million dollars, I don't know what the rate they're able to lend out against that is now, but when I was in business school, it was uh, 10% that they had to keep in the bank. So say they take your million dollars, they keep that in the bank and they can loan out nine times that amount. Right. So that of the 10 million, they have 1 million sitting in the bank. And so uh, they then lend out um, 9 million and they're lending that out at say 4% interest. So even though they have some risk of loss and they've got to foreclose on maybe one or two of the loans that they've made, they're still averaging say 3%. But and they're paying you half a percent, but they're loaning out nine times as much as what they're paying you on. So they're making an incredible amount of money on your million and they're paying you half a percent. Well, DeFi will cut the banks out of the system because the money can be loaned out to other sources um, for higher returns. And DeFi will allow those sources to go directly to you for better returns, which is why you can have your stable coins on some of the platforms and you can have say USDC or USDT and it's just sitting on the platform or staked on the platform and you're getting say 10% on it. And you're like, what in the world? So imagine you had a million dollars and instead of getting half a percent, say you had that in USDT or USDC and you spread that across a couple different platforms and you're getting 10% returns on that. Well, that's $100,000 a year. Fair to say in many countries around the world, you could easily retire on that kind of money. And say you only lived off of 60,000, you let 40,000 of it continue to grow, then you're increasing your total net worth over time while living with your money working for you, right? Which So I, yeah. that's exciting where that's going too. Which so I we're starting to see some of the use cases come together, but we don't know what else will come out of this, right? I mean, I was in the middle of 2020 last year, and I'd heard some people start talking about, oh, DeFi is the next big thing, DeFi. And I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about. And they're like, oh, land and stuff. And I'm like, how does this go crazy? And then like July of 2020, anything related to DeFi just went parabolic. And I started trying to absorb as much I could on this was a use case that nobody had really thought about, except for those in the banking industry that then grabbed a hold of what Ethereum could do. And they're like, wow, with this, we can do this and this and this and this. And their mind started to go to work on solving problems and doing all these things. That's just so far, like like computer scientists and other people and, I don't know, astronauts continue to get a hold of what blockchain can do and the speed of transactions that's being developed now. And we'll see where this all goes and where it ends up. I do like the idea that you suggested, though, which is I heard a friend refer to it recently as separation of state and money. 
So if you think about one of the big innovations that America made or, or the states was this idea of separation of church and state, which was separation of, if you think prior to that, in many countries, you had one church that right. really controlled um, politics for the area and how unhealthy that is, right? Because supposedly in church, they're supposed to not be greedy and everything. What it would do is there's a big magnet for all the corrupt that would then funnel in through the church and pretend that they were completely pious, but they, are, they were there for wealth and corruption. And it was tied to the government. And so, um, you know, that was a great breakthrough so that there wasn't one church that basically controlled the government. There were many different religions. In America, you know, people are still people. There was still plenty of intolerance, just less of it. And that was a breakthrough idea that has spread to many parts of the world, which is great because I, I love that. Even though I'm a religious person, I believe in a, a creator up above. Um, I think he's happy to see that too, because then there's less corruption that's attracted to church. Well, what if you could also separate money from state? What if the government couldn't continually abuse their own citizens through overprinting dollars? Wow. What if your savings didn't devalue because whatever administration decided they were going to try to print themselves out of their financial mess? Right. Well, that's a fantastic idea, right? So Nixon broke the United States when he decoupled uh, the dollar from the gold, gold reserves. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that was under the Nixon administration. Boy, there's many reasons not to like the Nixon administration. That's just one of them. But yeah, um, and so, you know, and many countries around the world didn't have that either. And so you have all these countries with just, you know, protections on fiat and they're totally devaluing their currencies. And so like, for example, Turkey is totally broken right now and much of their population is turning to cryptocurrency because the only thing that's keeping value because their monetary system there is completely devaluing is the you know, the government is corrupt and they're printing tons and tons and tons of money, which benefits them, hurts all of their citizens. And so, yeah, if that continues to happen, you'll see more and more people say, screw you and put their assets and their money into digital assets that the government can't control. Now, at some point, the governments will wake up and try to fight that. And the question is, is the genie too far out of the bottle that they can't put it back? We'll see. Most definitely. And uh, uh, one thing, you know, and I love that when, when you talk, you're very um, in depth about these things. And I feel like that's the best way I learn uh, just in general. What do you think about uh, uh, you said, you know, we could just keep printing money and things like that, which is what's happening right now. I know I've read that uh, uh, thing about the dollar. I think 25 percent of it has been printed since the last five, six months, which is crazy. Um, and so this is something that kind of woke me up. What do you suggest for someone who's new at crypto books and things like that? Like recently, I just purchased blockchain for dummies, just for giggles. Uh, but how did you learn all of this? What literature? What did you, where did you go to? Because I feel like that's something still, I'm big on the education side of things. How did you kind of figure all this out? And what, what did you, uh, what do you suggest for someone who's just getting into this? Like Anthony, I, or anyone else in the, in well, the rain family. Some of the best books that people can read is to help them understand how to think about money. Um, 
and that is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Great book. Yeah, you already read it, right? But it, it's, it's kind of the gateway drug to exiting the matrix. Because the truth is the school system in, let's talk about the school system in the States, but many countries it's like this. Since the early 1900s, um, they, they stripped financial education out of the education system. So they didn't teach people about using money to think like business owners. They're like, no, let's raise crops and crops of employees. Then in the private schools, we can teach the true business leaders and help them think differently. And so, um, you know, I, so then people are taught to think like employees. Oh, here's how you balance the checkbook but they don't teach you about putting savings, then taking that savings. They, they just teach you how to trade time for money. And, you know, part of the teaching is companies that are marketing to you. They're going to market to you how to buy their products, not how to save up and become a competitor to create better products to them. So you can't blame them for that. But if you want more out of life, realize you need to do more. And that is like stepping outside, being willing to think a little bit different. And the gateway drug to that or the red pill, blue pill moment is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Because once you read that book, and it's pretty simple, it's not very long, it starts you thinking about money differently. Because you start thinking about trading time for money. Okay, I have, you know, so many hours in the week, you know, 24 hours in a day. Um, gosh, if I take on a second job, I can make even more money. But what happens is you're limited on time and you can make even more money. However, if you're spending all that, it's not doing you any good. You're just running faster on the treadmill, but you're still on the treadmill. What if you could find a way that you could save up some money? And I, I had a mentor that helped me with this, and he was great. But, uh, you know, he, he said, look, when you're trying to analyze what you're trying to accomplish, the first thing you need to do is figure out what your burn rate is how much cash you're burning every month because you are, you're burning it. And that's what's giving you your lifestyle, but how much cash are you burning versus what you're earning? And that's what determines your savings. So if you're burning $10,000 a month and you make 10,500, well, you're not doing so hot. You're only able to save 500. And if you're honestly burning 1500 a month, but you make 3,500, you're way farther ahead than the person that's making 10,500, but burning through 10,000. And so then that gives you your savings that you're able to then take that money and find ways to put that money to work for you. So what I like about cryptocurrency is that this technology is changing the world. It's a little bit like investing in Microsoft or some of the technologies that gave us our last major shift. You know, Facebook, Google, a lot of those. Now, the hard thing is now we know who Google is. But back then, there were a lot of people competing for those dollars, a lot of companies that said they were going to win. And MySpace said that they were going to win. And you don't even probably know who they are for many of the people here. And, you know, other companies like there was a company called Corel and they made a word processing um, product called WordPerfect that many of you have never heard of. Why? Because an inferior product was bought up by Microsoft and that's what you know today was Microsoft Word. So there are a lot of winners. There's some, a few winners and a lot of losers back then. But your winners, if you ended up making some, not all smart decisions, but even some smart decisions, could have made you completely wealthy. And so one of the things about cryptocurrency that people don't realize is, see, when we're talking about Microsoft and Google, we're talking about US stock market. But what if you're an 
India? What if you're in Pakistan? What if you're wherever? You don't have access to the U.S. stock market. You have access to nothing, actually, except now you have access to cryptocurrency. So the, for the first time, the stuff has gone completely global that somebody in the poorest country in the Philippines, as long as he can find some kind of fiat gateway of whatever their monetary system is to right. be able to buy into Bitcoin. Once he can get into Bitcoin, he or she can get into anything else and they can then invest and have that value grow. So for the first time, we have somewhat of a level playing field across the world. Also a level playing field for intelligence. Imagine you're the poorest of the poor in the Philippines, but you work hard, you find some used books whenever you can, start growing your knowledge, you jump into the internet, and on the internet, you can learn anything today. So didn't go to any of the right schools, didn't do any of that, but has become brilliant. Guess what? There's going to be somebody that will pay him lots of money to come join their team, give them lots of, say, tokens on their project in return for their efforts. And that person in the poorest place in the Philippines can completely change their life. And that's very exciting to me, right? Yeah. Most, uh, that, that's something that I, you know, with family in India, I see too, the fact that at least at one point they were able to be like, you know, Bitcoin is up or something like that. The government obviously, you know, is completely against it. Uh, every other week I hear an article of, uh, India wants to ban cryptocurrency and stuff like that. And, but at the end of the day, it's like the ones who hold it still hold it. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll figure that out. But on the, on a, on a separate note, I know Anthony here is big on sports. Uh, usually some of the things we do is have sports and I don't know if you're big on sports. I'm not the biggest on sports, but I do see the NFT, uh, uh, changing completely changing the game we were you know with one of our friends and i think for a hundred dollars he uh bought some nba nft or something and like a week later it was like ten thousand dollars uh so i know anthony had a couple of things uh, on that end and another thing is like team ownership like for example the green bay packers i know uh you can buy like one share of their company for like a thousand dollars so i was just thinking of it like what if they tokenize that um Cause this was stuff you could do like 10 years ago. Friends at work of mine all have like this placard that says I own 0.0001% of the Packers, but it's like, imagine they took like the Anthony's a big Yanks fan. Imagine they tokenize that and how cool that would be. You know, that's, that's a quick transaction and I own it, you know? Yeah. A lot of it will probably go that way. Um, yeah, you give it some time. The regulars have to get on board and everything, but also wallets have to become more secure and and like redeemable because what happens now if you lose access to it? Poof, it's gone. There are some solutions, some companies working around that, like Devio itself has some solutions for that. And um, their solution is very good. That company I bring up a couple of times, even though they haven't had a token launch, nobody, almost nobody's familiar with them. But I've had multiple deep conversation with the CEO. And they're like three years ahead of everyone on everything, including their blockchain speeds, 8 million transactions per second when I know one of the big blockchains out there right now that people are very excited about, it's... Uh, Solana and it can do wow 15,000 transactions per second that's amazing and it's like well yeah I, I mean it's pretty good but 8 million with three nodes is unbeatable you know it's three years ahead of everybody 
they're also working on these solutions that what happens if you lose your wallet, right? You're screwed. Um, you know, there's that guy that like he put his encrypted thing in, in something where if he fails on the attempting to get in 10 times, it like locks his computer for forever. And then he has no access to that wallet. And, uh, you know, he's tried nine times. And I guess there's like $200 million worth of Bitcoin on that. And so that's a big problem. So one of, you know, before they can fractionalize major ownership and things, obviously that problem needs to be solved. Also, um, people overstate the power of decentralized. Decentralized is great, but sometimes you want centralized entities, right? You want an entity where you can go in and show your ID and get your access to your wallet back. So what are the, you know, what are the ways that that can happen? So we'll see how this plays out, but I'd love to see fractionalized ownership, fractionalized ownership of sports teams would be amazing. Fractionalized ownership of buildings and real estate. Um, I'm passionate about real estate, not passionate about property management. Well, yuck. <laughs> I think so. that's, that's what any <laughs> building owner would say. <laughs> yeah. I want to rent it out, but I don't want to deal with collecting the rent. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, that's, that's 100% funny. You know, we did a lot of a crypto talk. And just if we have a couple of minutes to sum this up, uh, Anthony usually likes asking some fun questions. Sure. Uh, so, you know, Anthony can uh, ask about food and things like that. I'm still like getting into crypto. So I'm like, I'm not really like that specialized to like go into like the deep talks like that. So I guess, yeah. So like, what is your favorite food, I guess, like in your like area, I guess, like what's well, like your go-to food if like you're like just trying to get a quick bite and like something you just want, like as like uh, a comfort food. I love tacos and I love if you're in certain areas you can get empanadas and and depending on which country you're in depends on how good they are what style they are but most of the countries say uh that have empanadas they're amazing and so essentially if you think about it depending on the country but they're like uh dough that's got meat and other things in it and uh just so amazing makes my mouth water just thinking about it I just had tacos before this. It's actually funny. I made my own personal tacos with like a nice little taco dip. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. So um, favorite countries for tacos are Mexico. Um, is Mexico mostly, but uh, then empanadas. If you head to like, say, El Salvador, you'll get to experience what's called pupusas. In fact, probably where you're at, you can find a pupuseria. There's yes. Salvadoranians yeah. all over the place. They're, <laughs> they're amazing. In Venezuela, they have these things. Um, oh, they put cheese. They take like white corn tor- uh, flour that's mixed up and they put cheese in it. I forget what they're called, but they're one of the most delicious things in the whole world. Uh, so I'm actually a big fan of South and Central America food. Big fan. Um, but I also love like Vietnam, like I love their food. Um, <laughs> you know, even from what's it called their their pho, or I never know how to pronounce it. But even if you get like their grilled steak with jasmine rice, absolutely incredible. And you look at all the Vietnamese people and their food is like actually pretty healthy. Like you go in, you can order almost anything in the menu yeah. and it's relatively healthy. And uh so probably, I guess I'd have to throw Vietnamese food in there, but uh, South and Central American food as well. That's awesome. Speaking of which, do you like to travel or are you more of like a homebody, like to like to like go a lot of places? Um, so 
one of the big things I'm big on is what's called delayed gratification. So I grew up poor. And so I didn't have massive amounts of money and everything. Um, the great thing about growing up poor is you learn to work hard in order to get things that you do want. But, uh, you know, though I make a good income, if I spend, if I increase my cash burn rate rather than my savings. So I've done some nice trips and places. I plan to do a lot more traveling later. So that delayed gratification of I love spending, but I'm willing to save as much now so that I can spend a lot more later. And I'm starting to get to the point that I'm like, okay, going to increase my spending. But imagine, you know, if you think about it, you're making $7,000 a month and you save 4,000 of it or four and a half thousand of it. And what you could do growing your wealth so that you can have a lot more spending down the road. Now, what tends to happen is people build up their spending all the way to that $7,000 a month. Sometimes they spend $7,500 a month. Then their life enters a crisis when they run out of credit. So um, I do like traveling. Um, I'd like to travel a lot more. Um, you watch on YouTube, like the people that are out like spearfishing for like lobster yeah. in exotic, beautiful places. Yeah, I want to be doing a lot more of that fun stuff. Um, I want to go through the Mediterranean again, uh, spent a while. Absolutely gorgeous and amazing. So the water there is beautiful. All the cities there are beautiful. The people were so much fun. Yeah. That's awesome. We can uh, definitely, uh, you know, again, it's a true blessing to have you on. And I feel like we can all learn a little bit from you. And I think you being so down to earth is what uh, kind of resonated with me. I clicked the video for the first time and I was like, wow, this guy's not asking for money or like $50 a month for a discord. I was like, no way. And it's funny because when I asked Will about the telegram, I was like, wait, it's free. He's like, yeah, who are you talking to? I was like, I know the discord people charging 50 to $100 a month. Um, but, you know, everyone has their own hustle. I just like that you do this on a very uh, a laid back kind of perspective of, you know, you review everything, you talk about the changes in the market and it's very genuine. There's no one, a lot of these people too, I've, I've dealt with now that the conference is coming up, I won't be there, but a lot of these people are funded by XYZ. And, uh, you know, when you talk about these projects, you could just tell you're talking from your analysis. It's not like someone's giving you, you know, 55,000 tokens and you're going to talk good about this. Um, but uh, that's, that's, you know, number one thing, like rich dad, poor dad, it's all about time. And so you giving us your time is, is I appreciate that for a lifetime, uh, Rain, for real. Yeah, it's been fun joining you guys and talking about these things. Um, cryptocurrency is just one of the many vehicles that can take you to life-changing wealth. But if people think they're just going to end up being lucky and buying some random token and making millions of dollars, it's probably not going to play out that way. But if you make a concerted effort to learn how to invest and give yourself some room that you'll make some mistakes, um, then and you stick around for at least two cycles, you can make pretty good wealth to life changing wealth, depending on the picks that you make. And so now it helps that I have an advantage of 20 years of experience with real estate investing and other types of experiencing. And I'm not perfect. I don't get everything right. Um, sometimes things happen that are totally outside our control. We invest in a project and then, you know, the project gets hacked and the value drops or whatever, or maybe the leadership doesn't come together. 
So, um, you know, it's hard. You'll never be always right. You just, in this space, you don't even have to be always right. You just have to be often right to do amazing things as well as following the general timing. I mean, I think we're halfway through this bull market. I think we've got a little ways more. And I mean, I'll tell you the secret when, when the values are going up so much because you bought some and the values are going so much, you're tempted to mortgage your car and your house to buy more. That is exactly the time to be selling. And when everybody is completely panicking, distraught, leaving the crypto space, and it's like, I'm done with this. It's horrible. It's a Ponzi scheme. That is exactly the time to be buying. So literally, if you follow that one piece of advice, also, I would couple that with never spend more than you can afford to lose. And this is an essential principle of it. The reason people get sick and they leave the space is because they leverage in order to buy it. And guess what? When you're leveraging to buy it, when are you most tempted to do that? right at the top. When is it most likely to crash and, and destroy your finances for 10 years? Right, right at, at the top. The top. <laughs> so don't be doing that at all. You'll crush yourself. That will not give you room to grow, learn, and, and accumulate wealth. You'll get crushed by one big downturn. And because you're leveraged, when it does go down, you're going to be panicking and you're going to sell and you're going to lose all kinds of sleep and you're going to sell and you're going to leave the space. And you've just crushed your future dreams right there because you went into debt to buy something that's highly volatile. Just don't do that. Also stay away from leverage. Leverage is the greatest way to lose money in the middle of a bull market. So uh, yeah, those, those couple of things I would share with you and the viewers, um, you know, I've done leverage before, absolutely got crushed by it, realized I'm not even smart enough to do leverage yet. And as much as I've had lots of experience with this, some experience, technical analysis and other things, I know I refuse to crush my finances this term by some wrong bets in the middle of a bull run by using leverage. I'm just happy with, I mean, cryptocurrency, some of my things are up 100x one without leverage. They're up 100x. So why in the world would you need leverage? So yeah, exactly. the problem with leverage is if it goes down, your entire position can get wiped out. Whereas if you actually bought it, if it goes down, you just wait. Just wait. Hold on and wait. I think that's definitely... Uh, your last couple of things that you said are super important for new people that are getting into this. Um, and if you have any questions for us, uh, I know we kind of went through everything. Uh, now is the time. Now I'm going to take my wife on a date tonight and um, I'll be heading to the Bitcoin conference. So if anyone's there and they want to chat and they see me, um, love to, I'll be in Miami. For sure. Good luck Just, with that. Good luck yeah, thank with that you. rain. 